it's uh, 2015. It says <laughs> you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it is. I can prove it. It on, is? On paper, with long division. Wait a minute. What's he doing here? Morning. Who, Richard? Yeah, I mean, you and I are here. Yeah. What's he doing here? Well, he's part of the Digital Noise crew. No, I know, but aren't we not allowed to be in the same room together, the three of us? This I thought that was the rules. This is why I built the little blinky device here that is, as you can see, blinking. So we can all be in the same universe at the same time because it's time for Digital Noise's Best of 2014 and Home Releases Show. Did you need to burp all the way through saying that? Because it really sounded like it. I really did. <laughs> Explosion sound effect, super awesome graphics. Yeah. Something, something that, looks like, uh, that would happen on Fox News during the elections or at ESPN on, on any given day. Or on E! when something happens to do with Kim Kardashian's ass. True. Does, <laughs> does obtaining a Netflix subscription actually support Al-Qaeda? Maybe. Choo-choo! Fox yeah. News. Is there anything on the E! News Network that isn't about Kim Kardashian's ass? I thought it was just called the Kim Kardashian's ass network. Occasionally, Joel McHale will make a football reference on the soup and then apologize for alienating 90% of the viewership. (laughs) Pretty much apart from that. I like Joel McHale. Fair enough. Well, uh, we're not here to review those shows. We're here to review maybe some other shows, but most importantly, what actually came out on Blu-ray and DVD this year and the best of the best. Each of us has... Picked our five favorites from the year for various reasons that aren't necessarily just like, hey, this is my favorite movie that came out on Blu-ray this year, but the best movie with the best package and everything all together with it. Uh, Some of our reasons are more arcane or obscure than others. Or just wrong. Or just wrong, possibly. But uh, we're going to... Misguided. We're going gonna... <laughs> to let Richard kick this one off uh, since he his people were the one who were responsible for our people being here. I guess we're technically all the same people now. Um, we are a melon. Oh, this just got really new agey all of a sudden. Whoa. Hey, come on. Let's hold hands for a second and chant. Get off. <laughs> About the Black Mariah edition of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 40th Anniversary Collector's Edition. Yay! Finally, oh. a chance to own Texas Chainsaw Massacre on video for the first time ever. <laughs> hey, don't forget I come from a country where it was banned for decades. Oh, that's right. There's still a novelty value for me there. Uh, but, you know, this is one of the greatest horror films of all time. And, you know, people throw around the term definitive uh, release. Uh, this is it. It does not get better than this. It is a beautiful 4K restoration which was released cinematically earlier in the year, which looks amazing, and you will see all this stuff that you'd never seen before, even on the best releases because all the prints are so jacked up. Uh, It comes in a truck. It comes in in an exact replica of the truck from the film. It's seen on screen for all of 20 seconds. But they actually contacted <laughs> Ed Gwynn, who, who was the, the guy who used, whose truck it was, who appears at the end and throws the wrench at, at uh, Leatherface. Right. It, no. it was his truck. And they just said, do you have photos of it? And he went, yeah, so it's an actual precise model of the truck. That guy's got to be baffled. Oh, he, he now actually sells uh, plastic replicas of the wrench. Oh, my goodness. He, he makes oh. a reasonably good living off that. And well, also I mean, apps. I guess good for him. Yeah. Uh, but it's a beautiful restoration. It is every extra that has ever been re-released with the packaging and any previous release, uh, plus a whole bunch of new stuff. Every single outtake. Uh, it also comes with uh, a small poster... And a, a bloody apron. So you can play at being Leatherface around the house. In case you didn't have any fake blood uh, 
or real blood to bloody up your own apron. Yeah, we've it's, it's one of the most ridiculous freebie things with uh, with a, a packaging. But yeah, the whole thing together is you know if you're a serious horror collector, this is one of these ones I think you just have to own. Is it, is Not it, least because it is such a you know this film will never look better. Uh, I mean, it's a 4K transfer, and it really did look much better than I thought it could have. Yeah, and the sound uh, the sound mix is what really brought out as well. You know, this is this is as good as this film gets, and you know, it, it, like I said, this is. You want to talk about the canon of horror? This this is way, way up there. And honestly, the big gain is you will suddenly see how good Daniel Pearl's photography is. His cinematography in this is just off the charts. Uh, right. And he'll finally get the credit for how good he was even before he went to Hollywood. Huh. Uh, right on. All right, Brian, you're next up with your first pick for the, uh, for the best of 2014, the Criterion edition of Thief. One of my favorite movies. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those situations where I just discovered this movie within the last couple of years and have probably watched it uh, 30 times since discovering. In fact, I just watched it yesterday. Uh, Seriously? So, yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, it, was in, it was in preparation for something I'm putting together. But I, I lo- this is Michael Mann's first feature film. And with his first feature film, he completely knocks it out of the park with the story of a, uh, a safecracker who is a fierce loner and has his own set of rules and principles and you know gets involved with the mafia and and that goes sour and because he's James Caan and he is the last guy in the world that you want to fuck with <laughs> he will not be fucked with and uh takes his own brand of vengeance in the most beautiful uh gorgeously shot way because you know this is one of those situations where even though it's a first film, you can t- you you see all of the seeds of, of Michael Mann's style just all over this movie. Like you can see his his gritty nighttime photography and the wet streets and uh, the the high speed photography when someone's getting blown away and like the uh, the the code of honor amongst thieves. Like there's there's so much about this movie that later shows up again, at least in Heat, uh, if not all of his other films. Uh, and and what Criterion has done is they have done a completely new 4K picture restoration as well as a completely new restoration on the soundtrack uh by tangerine dream which is absolutely phenomenal and so it's just it's the best presentation of this i, I think very under heralded movie it's it's a fucking classic and and the guy the guy's first feature film is something that i would readily consider a classic and that is no small feat and you know on top of that you got uh special features like there's a commentary with michael mann and james Kahn. there are brand new interviews uh, with not only Khan and, and Michael Mann, but also one of the guys from Tangerine Dream. Uh, there's a great booklet in here with a great article by uh, Nick James. And, uh, yeah, there's this is just an incredible package put together by Criterion for what I consider to be one of the greatest crime films of all time. I love Thief. And Bra- yeah, there's so many films that rip this off. Even if you've never oh, seen yeah. this, every filmmaker who likes crime, likes making crime films has seen this and, and just taking the ball and run with it. Uh, you know, Drive is basically a remake. <laughs> Drive sure. is a remake of this while also ripping off the opening scene from The Driver yes. with, uh, with, with uh, what's his name? But doing it well. Doing it well. I know, absolutely. I love all the, all the movies we just mentioned. But... And this is one of the best uh, releases from one of our favorite uh, home release companies of the year. Uh, Brian can feel it coming out on Carteria. Hold on. Oh, no. I can. <laughs> this is beautiful. This is something that if you're a Criterion collector, you are doing yourself an enormous disservice if you do not pick this one up. Agreed. All right. So it's my turn. And no one will be surprised to see I've picked Batman, the complete series limited edition on Blu-ray. Oh, not- did you get that? Yeah. 
I'm kidding. You talk uh, about it all the time. Okay. Did I mention that before? <laughs> yeah. Once or twice. It's come up in conversation. Yeah, well, you know what? If you press a button on the side, it plays the Batman theme, so fuck off. Yeah, you so mentioned that. You. you mentioned that at my grandmother's funeral. I was like, oh, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. You're like, yeah, if you push this button on the side, it plays the... I'm like, dude, get out of here! What are you even doing The only here? reason I brought that up is because your grandmother and I used to talk about that in bed together all the time. That is even creepier on so many levels. What? Oh, you kids. <laughs> anyway, um, this is remarkable if for no other reason that it's never been released in a home version before ever. No DVD, no Laserdisc, no VHS, no nothing. At best, it had a Viewmaster release. <laughs> <laughs> and it really actually did have a Viewmaster, Viewmaster release. They released a lot of the episodes in Viewmaster form where you get like four Viewmaster reels nice. and then watch the episode on your Viewmaster. Still the best use of 3D in film, if you ask me. Right? Um, but this has been put together with such care and quality. It looks and sounds beautiful. They put it in a super awesome little case that comes with lots of physical extras, including a scrapbook and a little actual diecast Batmobile car, uh, tons of digital extras. You really fall in love with Adam West, the person in this thing, who's like, this guy, If he is like the number one example Ever of typecasting ruining your career, of somebody who had a really promising career and typecasting just destroying it, and yet he's come, he's shed all the anger that he once felt about that and has now turned around and completely embraced it and has just turned into a really sweet guy. I mean, he actually goes in some of these extras and visits people who are obsessed with the old show and have like, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Batman collectibles, like show up at their house and put on their replica bat hoods and what have you. I'm like, that's pretty sweet. I feel all warm and fuzzy after watching Aww. this. Plus, the episodes are just fun. So, yes, uh, big, big, big recommendation. Definitely one of my favorite box sets of the year. And now it turns back to Richard, yep. who's picking one of the things I would have put on my list, but he got to it first. Yes, because I'm a vicious, brutal swine. <laughs> uh, this is the Vincent Price Collection 2 uh, from uh, another of our favorite release houses, um, Screen Factory. Ah! Stop that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Never more, out, Brian. Uh, no, I'm going to do it at least once more. They put out volume one of this last year, and you were kind of looking at it and going, all, the, all that it really reinforced is, A, how great Vincent Price was, and you know how he could go from one, kind of like real gripping horror to comedy horror so easily into the real surrealist stuff, uh, like Dr. Fibes. And that really kind of concentrated on his, his, um, his Edgar Allan Poe run. Uh, this is starting to really expand out to look at a lot of a lot of his other stuff, like his more sci-fi stuff, uh, like Return of the Fly and Last Man on Earth. Uh, but there is still, some, you know, there is some, still some of the things like I think, I think oh, it's uh, Tomb of Lies on here, the which, Raven. I, which I liked a lot. Tomb of Lies, yeah, oh, Tomb of Lies, great, uh, uh, really great. House on Haunted Hill, which is still, I mean, it's a great, it, campy, it is the weird William Castle film. To yeah, watch. It's, like it's, you uh, could skip. Every other William Castle film. And just go but straight to that. Watch out on Haunted Hill. Yeah. It's really good. Uh, Comedy of Terrors, Doctor Fives Rises Again, which everybody was expecting this. Yeah. I mean, and the, the great thing is, you, just, you look at this and go, wow, I'm looking forward to volume three and four. There of, still could be two more so sets like this. so much stuff. I mean, they haven't even got as far as you know, Theatre of Blood yet. Right. Yeah, one of his great remaining roles. I love Theatre of Blood. Such a good film. So, uh, yeah, but this is, you know, these, these sets in. Scream Factory tradition have been loaded with extras. They found all these old NPR intros that he, uh, PBS intros that he would do for a PBS affiliate in like Ohio or somewhere like that for no readily apparent reason. Right. And lots of little documentaries. Just they've they've found everything they possibly can, and 
it just makes you fall in love with just how clever and sweet and warm his performances could be and you really feel the man coming through and how you know just he worked with people and their first instinct was i want to go back and work with him again yeah and there's lots of great anecdotes for example about him working with um peter laurie peter laurie and bella lugosi and, and bella lugosi come, uh, you know uh, uh, karloff just comes from straight from a background of, of straight you do the performance and you know he's going he's trying to hang with these guys who are improv heavy and they and he's like <laughs> I have no idea what you guys are doing. What? And you can see his performance is like slight bafflement, but it's so beautiful at the same time. Beautiful restorations of films that, you know, really need them, that really bring out kind of the wild pop art sensibilities, a lot of the films uh, films of this time. But, you know, the true gem, I think, here that a lot of people haven't seen um, is Last Man on Earth. Uh, which, which is, the, if, yeah. if you've seen um, uh, the Will Smiths, I am legend. I am legend. Yeah. Then you've seen the crappy version of this story. Yeah, this is this is a, a great, <laughs> weird, desolate, desiccated nineteen fifties Italian horror version of that. Such a great film. This is this is a again, if you're a horror collector, I think this is an absolute must have, as is volume one. Agreed. All right, moving uh the, the ball gets tossed over to Brian. Catch the ball, Brian. I caught it. Okay. <sighs> What do you got for us? Well, uh, speaking of being a horror fan, I feel like we're talking about a lot of horror movies because we might just be terrible people, and that's okay with me. Uh, Never Sleep Again, which is one of the best horror documentaries I have ever seen. Uh, What it does is it basically takes you through the entirety, and when I say the entirety, I mean the entirety of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise from start to to uh, just just shy of the remake uh, and, and takes you through the making of every single movie, uh, how the first one got made, the, the kind of the, the process by which Wes Craven came up with the idea and the really horrifying story of, uh, you know, Cambodian refugees from which it was spawned, uh, you know, I mean, and, and goes through and interviews everyone, every star of every movie. Uh, Robert England is in there, of course, Heather Loggenkamp. Uh, you know, Wes Craven's interviewed, Bob Shea's interviewed at New Line. Like, it, it goes through the making of every single movie and really kind of gives you. Uh, and it's not just. And it's not one of those documentaries where they treat every single movie as if it's a classic. Like, they know where they fucked up in this franchise and they talk about it with a lot of irreverence and they're very funny about it. I love the discussions about how they didn't realize when they were making Nightmare on Elm Street 2 that it was one of the gayest horror films of all time. <laughs> and, like, just reflecting back on it, like, oh, wow, yeah, it was really, really gay. And we just, we had no idea what we were doing. And, you know, and, and some, of the, some of the people who have uh, gone on to be really fucked up wackadoos, like <laughs> yeah. Leslie uh, Dean, I think her name is, who plays Tracy in, I believe it was the sixth one, I don't know what the fuck happened to her, but she shows up in makeup with like a bullet hole in her head and a female submissive. And <laughs> I, I'm like, okay, that's even weirder than anything that happened in your Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a really great documentary. And on top of, I mean, this thing is almost four hours long. It is, it is, it's it, exhaustive. It's exhaustive is the perfect word for it. And then on top of that, you have special features. Like not only does this look great, not only do, is it is it exhaustive in its approach to the entire franchise, but on top of that, you get all of these special features that go even further into the franchise. So I mean, this is an absolute must. I would say whether you're a Nightmare on Elm Street fan or not, because there are some really interesting stories in this. One of my favorite that I learned from this documentary is that uh, Peter Jackson wrote the first treatment of uh, Freddy's Dead. Uh, and in his version of the of the movie, Freddie had become uh, a joke 
to Elm Street. Like, and it was kind of tied. It was kind of this meta approach tied into the movies where he had become such a a joke telling, you know, right. uh, wisecracking like goofball that he was a joke to Elm Street, and kids would actually take sleeping pills and go into the dream world and just fuck with him, just beat him up like he was some homeless guy. <laughs> And he accidentally ends up killing one of them, and that's how the fear starts again and how he's able to come back. And I'm I would like, have liked to have seen that. Holy shit, that sounds amazing. Why don't we have Peter Jackson's Freddy's Dead instead of the awful Freddy's Dead that we did get? Yeah, well, at least we got Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Wes Craven's New Nightmare is great. Yeah. And this is, like I said, it's just very exhaustive. It's it's an absolute must, both for fans of Nightmare on Elm Street and just fans of the history of horror in general. Agreed. All right, so it goes back to me, and I'm picking what I think a lot of people are going to think is an odd choice, but give me a second here, and I'll explain this. I'm picking Arrow, the complete second season Blu-ray. Okay, there's a lot of things about this show that ended up surprising me with a show that started out not being surprising at all. You're like, wow, this is really crappy when this show started. Like, it's just not a terribly good show. It's what you expect from the CW making an adaptation of a third or fourth tier comic book character depending on who you talk to i suppose it's dc i'd say second tier yeah <laughs> um <laughs> that's true wow. but you know as the first season went along making all the mistakes it, it did it started to find some level of clarity on what was going wrong and what was going right and the second season launches with a sort of a hyper awareness of now we know what works and now we know it doesn't as in a much clearer example than in almost any other TV show I've even seen in terms of the division of like, okay, we had a meeting, we worked it out. Now we're going to just stick with the stuff people like. And to add to that, this comes with a feature that I think should be just like the law for any television shows season past the first one. There's a whole episode of nothing but here's what's happened so far. Ah. So you get 45 minutes of the story so far that just goes through every story element that happened that you need to know from the first season. So really, when people say, so do I have to start with the first season era? I heard it's not as good. This is the one time you can say safely, no, you absolutely don't have to start with it. <laughs> you can start with season two. It, it, it'll it explain everything to you in detail that you have missed. And it really turns into a super fun show. Uh, lots of great episodes throughout this. Lots of like bringing, making Deathstroke into such an amazingly awesome villain in this season. Um, the introduction of the Flash, all sorts of good stuff. And of course, the Flash has turned out to be the best superhero show on TV. So there you go. Lots of good bonus features beside that. Lots of good deleted scenes. Uh, the uh, great Comic Con panel. I love it when they include the Comic Con panels. Definitely, definitely, definitely a kind of must-buy for people who, if you haven't tried Arrow yet, just pick this one up. Second season, you won't regret it. All right, moving back to Richard. Hello. Uh, what do you got for I'm us? I'm going long. <laughs> go back, go back, keep going. Hey. Oh, he stopped before he got to the edge of the cliff. Wait, Damn you're it, British. Man. You can't use your hands in football. <laughs> That's Caught true. Caught with my teeth. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> uh, I am going to go with something that I sat and binge-watched uh, because I don't have HBO for weird, complicated reasons that are basically laziness. Uh, I am going to go with um, the complete se uh, season of True Detective, uh, which is one of the best weird, complicated, nuanced, literate, amazingly performed TV shows that I think has ever been produced. Uh, I, I think things have tried... A lot of shows have tried to do something like this before. Try to create a, a holistic, season-long narrative that doesn't feel like it's getting caught up in diversions or slack episodes and tries to do something really strange and weird. You know, and obviously you're going to go to Twin Peaks, which 
I almost went with because they did the fantastic big box release this year and like yay lovely but this it's short it's elegant it has two powerhouse performances all the supporting performances are great and this it's a whole world you can unravel you can go away and read you know the books that inspire this and the nihilist philosophy that really brings this all together the fact that this is a series about a nihilist <laughs> is just amazing and, and, a nihilist yeah. and a guy who's just who's you know not a nihilist but only because he's never really thought about it yeah you know, a guy who just like kind of takes. Uh, I, I guess he's he's a hedonist appearance more than anything. Yeah. He's like just wants what he can grab in front of him. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, uh, you know, McConaughey's character is is a philosophical nihilist. Yeah, that's really what he is. And that's the thing. I think uh, the, only, the, only, the the one thing that's been unfortunate for this series is people have concentrated on how good McConaughey is in it, and he is amazing in this. But, but everybody is good. But they haven't given. I think because people have talked about McConaughey so much, and he's been on such of a role with Oscar nominations and. Alice Byers Club, and like looking better than TV than a, than a car commercial, you know he's. But Harrelson is just amazing in this, and I don't think he gets the credit for just being this kind of broken bull of a man. That's because he got his award while they were filming the show with Alexandra Daddario's boobs in his face. That is true. He already, that he is he already true. Got like off to you, sir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this is. I, I think this is arguably the the greatest televised detective series ever. Uh, I'm fascinated to see what they do with season two to see whether they can do anything with it. But I think it also raises the bar for everybody else in the same. I I think we're going to look at this as as kind of landmark television in the same way that we look at Hill Street Blues or The Sopranos uh, or ER as like this is something changes when you do this because what it is you are told you can get away with shifts. And I think this, you know, I think HBO now has no excuse but to go away and do the, um, the James Elroy. Uh, adaptations that the world really wants them to do, and I think this is the reason we're finally getting the Happen Leonard adaptations. Yes, which uh, I'm you know, so for. Th- this is Turning Point Television, and it is, if you haven't seen it, it is absolutely every bit as good as uh, as you think. Uh, extras on this, uh, audio commentaries, a couple of short making making ofs, uh, you know, a couple of short interviews. Uh, I don't think it really needs that much because this is yeah. so damn perfect it's, just by it's, just by virtue of how good it is this belongs in in your uh, great credits and sequences as well the it, opening it, credits are some of the best that have ever been committed to television this is one of the few things that's on uh, y'all's lists all of our lists this year that i would say deserves to be on here purely for just the thing itself and no other reason yeah. because it really is so landmark and it is going to stand up to lots of rewatchability, especially in context of what is going to happen and come out in television in the next couple of years following yeah. it. So, yeah, I this think is, this is a kind it's, of an it's essential. A, it's buy. a solid box, not, not an amazing box set, but the show itself is just. This is, I think, few things have touched this in the last couple of years. Fair enough. All right, uh, throwing that long bomb back to Brian. He's going back. He's running. He's on the 30. And he's going to talk about sports. Uh, so don't drop you. the ball, you two. All right, so here we go. Uh, if you guys, the ball dropped. If you guys listen to a weekly nerdy sportscast here on oneofus.net called Inside the Logger, you may have heard me talk ad infinitum about this ESPN documentary film series called 30 for 30, which is absolutely brilliant. And it's one of those things that I – there are certain titles – within that documentary series that I could recommend to anyone, even people that are vehemently anti-sports, and they I promise you you will enjoy them because they are just so well-made and so engaging, and they, they really are accomplished at finding the human story in every single uh, sporting event that's covered within the subject matter. And just recently they put out uh, a gift set 
for uh, it's their fifth, their five year anniversary, one hundred film collection. <laughs> And I know 100 films. <laughs> yeah, there's 100 of them. Uh, and in addition to uh, m- almost all of their, uh, their feature documentaries, they also have, uh, from their main series, 30 for 30, they also have in this set uh, documentaries from their 9 for 9, which is about, uh, it focuses specifically on females in sports and, and uh, women's sports subjects. And then they have their soccer stories, which are all documentaries about. Uh, the world of soccer, and then they have a number of their short films as well. So, I mean, this is a jam-packed set. And the gift set, what's amazing about it is, in addition to all of that, it comes in a giant steel locker, which is outstanding and I think is really great considering, you know, I talk about this usually on, on my show, the Inside the Locker, uh, <laughs> that comes with not only all of the movies, but uh, a T-shirt, a, a, a hat, a poster, a booklet. Like, there's, it, there, there's so much stuff stuffed into that locker. Uh, and it's just, it's a beautiful set that will look amazing on your shelf. And at any point, uh, and I know what most people are going to say right now is, well, aren't a lot of these available on Netflix? And a lot of them are, but not all of them. Not to mention the fact, like I said, that this packaging is some of the nicest I've seen from any release this year. Uh, and it's just, it's just a great series of documentaries, a really great set to own. Uh, and if and if that seems a little bit out of your price range, they do have a set that doesn't come in a locker with all the extra goodies, but comes in like a box that's shaped like a ticket because that's kind of the logo for Thirty for Thirty is this like oh, okay. uh, is this admission ticket. So that's even that one, even like the 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 step down version is still really nice, and I think this is one of the better releases of anything this year. I mean, l- let alone documentaries. So definitely highly recommend picking this. And one these up. are all sports documentaries, specifically yes. documentaries. I say there's no. Fictionalized versions of no, 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 no. I mean, there's some of my favorites in here are uh, there's a great one called Four Days in October, which is about the Boston Red Sox in 2004 doing something that no team in the history of baseball had done, which was come back uh, the way the it, I, I know I'm talking to some people who are like, I don't, what's baseball? Um, so the way the World Series works is before you go to the World Series, you have the American League and the National League. You have to crown a champion in each league, and the way you you do that is in a best of seven series of games. Well, they had already lost three in a row. So the Yankees win one more game. They're eliminated from the playoffs. No team in history had ever come back from that deficit, and they did. And it's about those four days where they win four games in four days. Like sometimes, you know, one game would end at like 3 o'clock in the morning in one city and then have to play at 5 o'clock the next day in the other city. Jesus. Just an amazing feat. And, it, it like, I'm a Red Sox fan, but more than that, I'm just a fan of great cinematic stories and especially when they come from real life, and that's exactly what this is. I was in tears by the end of it. I was say, that's the reason you are a Red Sox fan, because there's no other reason but hoping that something like that would happen eventually. Yeah, Statistically, prior, it had to happen eventually. Prior to 2004, <laughs> it was like being a masochist, being a Red Sox fan. And right. you know, now they've won it three times. Uh, they hadn't won it for 80 years, and they win it three times. It's kind of insane. It had to happen eventually. And the, the floodgates open. And there's also a great one uh, called Catching Hell about the poor guy who interfered with the the foul ball catch in the in, in the World Series game with the Cubs mm. that like like the whole city turned on him blaming him oh, for the Jesus. Cubs losing it was always oh, horrifying but it's like all these things that like you don't really think about anymore or you Why don't Why is anyone ever surprised when the Cubs lose? I don't know. I don't know. They should be used to it. I, I can't really say anything as a Red Sox fan. I have to remember what it was like before that first one. But and yeah. Even if you're not big on sports, I mean these are just you know, if you love documentaries, I don't think there's been a series quite like this with such dedication from a network. I mean, I'm yeah. not the biggest fan of ESPN. It, I, I'm aware it exists. Um but yeah. <laughs> but you know it has things like uh, uh in the uh, the soccer stories uh, Hillsborough which is uh, an amazing and and very moving documentary about 
the Hillsborough disaster in which people died during a stadium collapse, uh, you know, still a raw political point in the UK decades later because the police have basically tried to say, oh, none of it was our fault. And it's like, yeah, you kept people in there and they died because you wouldn't let them, wouldn't let them evacuate. Um, you know, and these are, you know, these aren't just every, every one of these I've ever seen. I've just been impressed with as a documentary. And I think that's where ESPN has really excelled. They've gone, we don't take these because they're sports documentaries. We take them because they're great documentaries about sports. This is, this is a, an unprecedentedly strong series. Here's a great example of that. If you're a fan of the movie, catch me if you can. Watch the documentary Big Shot, where a guy from Texas completely bullshits his way into being the owner of the New York Islanders with no money. <laughs> He absolutely just com- he convinces them that he's a he's a rich uh, philanthropist that is going to buy this this failing team, and he comes in and he's made the owner, and they're so excited to have him that they don't even clear all the paperwork first. So he's the owner of the Islanders, and he has no fucking money. So how long did this last for? He, he was the owner for a couple of months. Oh my god! Before they were finally like, okay, we need to see actual money, and he's like, I don't have any. That guy's a hero. <laughs> he was like, and it's it's directed by the guy that plays E on Entourage. Oh, and yeah. he does a great job with it. And he actually interviews the guy. The guy's never been interviewed by anybody before. Um, so, I, I, again, like you don't you don't even have to like sports. The stories that are at the heart of all of these documentaries are interesting enough, whether you're into sports or not. I mean, not. I'll say, I, I don't watch sports, as, as everyone knows, but I like sports movies, always have. I mean, when you said baseball, immediately Kevin Costner was doing something in my head. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just like, oh, sports movies are good. Generally speaking, they are. I mean, I, and it's it's because sports, I think, are naturally lend themselves to being cinematic. And when you take a documentary, it's like taking out all the long, 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 boring parts of sports and just going down to the parts that actually matter for that cinematic part you're talking about. Then I'm like, okay, now I see the appeal. I could have put it better myself, but I didn't. <laughs> so okay. <laughs> from, from the viewpoint of a guy who doesn't like, sports, no, I get, I get what I'm you're just, saying. I I'm get trying what you're to saying. sell it to those who 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 are like me. <laughs> anyway, uh, I actually picked something that Richard mentioned almost made his list. That's Twin Peaks, the entire mystery Blu-ray set. Even though this is not something I actually got sent. I did get to tool around with a friend of mine's copy of it. And, and I was kind of like, eh, I don't really need this when hearing about it. I've got the, all the DVD sets they put out before. I was wrong. <laughs> this is so much better than anything previously they put together. Uh, not the least of which is this one actually does include the series pilot. Not just one version of it either. A considerably longer version of it that has not been released ever before is on here as an option to watch. It also comes with Firewalk With Me on Blu-ray, and a whole extra disc of additional content, most of which we have never, ever seen before, and a really, really cool-looking box. Um, it's just, There's so much fun stuff on here, like all the Log Lady intros from Bravo, and uh, various like pr- network promo sneak peeks type stuff. Um, th- there's uh, these extra things they filmed specifically for this with David Lynch that are really weird. Not the least of which is... Really? Yeah, right. Shocker. Uh, Not the least of which is uh, a slice of Lynch uncut, where is a 56-minute thing where Lynch sits down for coffee and cherry pile with Kyle McLaughlin, Madgen Amick, and the post-production supervisor John Wentworth to talk about all about Twin Peaks. And they're kind of freaked out by David Lynch in this. You can tell. They're like, Dude, you are fucking weird. Because <laughs> he is. Uh, lots of pr- never-before-seen deleted scenes. I mean, if you're a Twin Peaks fan, that means something. You're like, oh, that's important. Um, outtakes. Uh, the weirdest thing on here is there's this one where they um, it, he sits to get down with some of the cast who play themselves. And they have this long interview where they're talking about what happened to them after Twin Peaks. 
as the their characters, including the girl who played Laura Palmer. So weird and creepy. <laughs> yeah, this is really, really, really like the. I mean, like you talk about the. This is the edition. There's no other version of this that could be complete uh, as complete, except for when they inevitably re-release this with the upcoming season three. Yep. Yes. <laughs> So really excited about this. I'm actually, this is went on my, my wish list. Now, uh, eventually I'll pick this up for myself once it drops in price, but I do recommend it for everyone else. And now back to Richard. It's your turn. Hey! Uh, one of my all-time favorite documentaries. Uh, in the same way, I think that um, True Detective changes the game for um, uh, uh, people telling cop stories and detective stories. Uh, the act of killing, I think, is a landmark in documentary making. Um, Agreed. If you've never seen this, this is, it is it is harrowing. Uh, basically, jo- Joshua Oppenheimer uh, went to Indonesia and started talking to people who were victims of the uh, Suwata regime uh, and saying, "Well, you know, what was it like being subject to you know random torture?" knowing that just being thought of vaguely as a communist, you were pretty likely to be killed. And as he went on, he realized, I don't need to be talking to them because everybody knows the victim stories. They lost, a lot of these people have left the country now. Nobody ever talks to the torturer. Nobody ever talks to the killer. Nobody ever asks them what they did. And these guys are still walking around. In fact, they won. Yeah, we don't you know, like there is to, no more. <laughs> we don't like to go and take a close look at those situations where the good guys triumphed heroically, yeah. like where, where they didn't triumph heroically. Yeah. This is a sequence where the good guys lost big time. The baddies won and they've been the status quo for a long time. This is basically we have if, completely if the Nazis tried to pretend won. Yeah, we try to pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> we we walk away from this. And he takes an amazing approach to it that he he goes to them and says, you know, tell your story in whatever way you want to. And these guys were, you know, a lot of these, these torturers and, and, and rogue killers were, you know, they start off as, as ticket scalps at the cinema. Yeah. So he gets them to retell their own version of their story as, as classic Hollywood movies, which leads to one of the weirdest song and dance routines you will ever see in your life. But it's a way to get these guys to think about what it is that they've done. This is the closest you will ever see to a war crime trial. For these people. It's like they tricked them into art therapy. Yeah, it is. It is really an amazing documentary. It is beautifully shot. It is heartrending. It is, you know, it will will cause you to question what we end up having to accept as uh, because somebody wins a war and we let them walk away. This is, you know, this is about evil in its purest form as an, a, a human action and what it does to the people who did it and how they, how they justify it to themselves. Right. Um, and this is a great documentary that has been championed by some of the, the greatest documentary documentarians of all time. Uh, Werner Herzog. Um, uh, yeah, it, actually there's a commentary on here with, with, uh, between Herzog who became an assigned on executive producer and director Joshua Oppenheimer. Uh, there's Joshua Oppenheimer's appearances on democracy. Now, uh, there's a, an interview with Errol Morris, uh, and I, I do think this is one of the most important documentaries since Morris's Thin Blue Line, 
which was so radical and such a turning point at the time that the uh, the, the Academy wouldn't let it be nominated because they said there's too many re- reenactments in here. Like, That's the point. Yeah. We're reenacting a crime. And this is the same kind of thing. And it was fucking robbed at the Oscars. It was. I am going to say that flat out. I mean, I often disagree with the Oscars, but, you know, 30 feet from stardom, fuck you. Uh, I mean, Officially, fuck don't you. Don't get me wrong. 30 feet from stardom is a phenomenal film, but this was a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's because there, there were you know, four documentaries, uh, four, document, four political documentaries, historical documentaries um, up that year, and only one, which was about people who sing, and fucking Mickey Rooney gets to vote in this category, and it was the Mickey Rooneys of this world who put 33 for stardom. <laughs> um, he won't vote next year, though. <laughs> oh, harsh. What? what? I killed him? What, yeah. I, I'm the bad guy? You <laughs> killed Mickey Rooney? He knows what he did. All right. Well, in that case, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to piss you off. So let's just get to Brian's next choice here. Which, yeah, I don't remember what it is. Oh, Ace in the Hole. Hell yeah! Uh, another Criterion release of uh, a Billy Wilder movie that I I sought out after. I can't remember who it was. Somebody I was watching. Uh, there will be blood, and somebody made a comparison to Ace in the Hole, and I was like, "What the hell is that?" And then it's all. It was also released under the title of Big Circus. And uh, I went and tracked it down. I watched it. This is a brilliant, brilliant film about the nature and responsibility of the media, of journalism. Uh, It's about Kirk Douglas plays a a former bigwig in the New York York media, uh, a newspaper man who's kind of fallen from grace for some of the trouble that he got into. And he ends up way out west, uh, this tiny podunk paper. But he walks into the room and he's like, I'm here to save your paper. And they're like, who the fuck are you? And he's like, don't worry about it. Just give me a job. I'm the best newspaper man you'll ever hire. I just bought the New York Islanders. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Pretty much that kind of thing. And so what happens is that in the short time that he's there, there is a a cave-in at a local mine, and one of the miners is trapped. And it's just kind of a thing that happens. Like, everybody else is just kind of like, well, you know, that happens. But he goes out there, and he turns it into a huge media event where people are literally coming from all over the country to come and camp here and there's this big rescue effort going on uh this guy named leroy they're trying to save leroy and he's just drumming up all this attention for it not because he cares at all whether leroy lives or dies but because it's so good for his career and the movie is like it just you follow him as he as he starts to realize that he's a complete scumbag and that while he he influences he literally influences how they go about digging for the guy. Like, there's this way, which seems like the better way and is much shorter, or is this way that'll take longer, and then he calculates, oh, well, that means I'll get more press out of this. Let's do it that way. So, I mean, like, he he's an absolute horrid human being, but it's just kind of about watching uh, watching a monster, you know? And it's about the creation of a monster, and I I think it's an absolutely amazing film that Billy Wilder put together, and it's this Criterion release is slam-packed with, with uh, extras, uh, there's a, uh, a portrait of Billy Wilder. Uh, there's a, a clip of him at the American Film Institute. There's a, an archival 1984 interview with Kirk Douglas. Uh, there was a, a thing about uh, an actual newspaper man at the time. Uh, there's a still gallery, a trailer, a booklet, a commentary with film with a film scholar, and it's just like so many things. So many, you approach this movie from so many different angles, and you realize. Why it is such a classic. It's a beautiful, beautiful transfer uh, visually. It sounds great. And I, this is, I think this is one of those films that you kind of have to watch. Like as a film fan, it's just one of those classic films that really does define. Uh, it, it still influences the way films are made today. And I, I think next to only maybe Citizen Kane, 
uh, you know, movies about the media, movies about newspapermen and the, and, and what it means to really be a media a magnate. I think this is this is one of the the top tier movies for that category. This Great could... double bill with uh, this and Nightcrawler. Yes. Oh, there you oh go. my perfect, god, yes. Perfect double bill. Oh my god, yes. I you know, I haven't seen this. I'm going to have to borrow this from you sometime. You've and never I seen love it. yeah, I love Billy Wilder too, so it's a shame that I have not actually I watched I, this. I a lot of people uh, go for the sweet smell of success. Oh, yeah. I think it's the the great uh, media film of this era. I think you're right. I think this beats it into a into a cock hat. It, it is alarmingly prescient. I think that, you know it, it's up there with Bug Jack Barron, which if you've never read Norman Spinrad's uh, Bug Jack Barron is like thirty years ahead of the time about what the media is going to become. This is this is alarmingly accurate. Oh, fair <laughs> it's, enough. It's a terrible indictment of my industry before it got this bad. It's almost it's almost like people went. No, this is a game plan for how to run a company rather than, no, this is how you destroy your conscience and your soul. Yeah, I, yeah somebody, Ann Rand, saw it and went, I don't see the problem. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> uh, okay, so I will be checking that out. Now that's on my short list, Brian. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, but something I did get sent this year and loved the hell out of was Stanley Kubrick, The Masterpiece Collection. Um, now, of course, this is just the stuff he did for Warner Brothers. So people were like, oh, what happened to this movie? It's like, well, it was the stuff he did for Warner Brothers. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> they, they can't put movies that in a Warner Brothers set that he didn't did for them do for them. But it does come with The Shining, Eyes Wide Shut, A Clockwork Orange, 2001, Full Metal Jacket, uh, a clock, uh, uh, Barry Lyndon, Lolita, and Dr. Strangelove, along with lots of, like, really cool bonus features. Um, I just... I didn't have any of these on Blu-ray except for Full Metal Jacket and A Clockwork Orange. And this even has new extra features for both those. Um, it's just great packaging. It's got like a big hardback book that comes with it. Um, it's Stanley Kubrick. I mean, love him or hate him, you have to respect him for what he did. No, I don't. He did. Yes, yes, you do, Brian. No, Sit down. I, I, do. I do. You will learn to respect Stanley. No, I actually, Dr. Strangelove is one of my favorite comedies of all time. And actually the one, the only movie that I would say is missing, and I understand why it has to be one studio. The only movie I feel is missing is The Killing, which is my favorite Stanley Kubrick movie it's of all time. It's a great movie. Yeah. yeah. No, but again, I, I like also, it's all the Warner Brothers stuff. So. Also, um, Paths of Glory. Yeah. Yeah, and Paths of Glory is good. That, that I like that. The, the Killers. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots of other good, or at least a few others. I'm not sure how many more we're missing. Not here, a actually. lot. We're only missing a few, like the really, the really, really early ones. But overall, I really like all these films, except for Eyes Wide Shut. And even 2001, which has I do not enjoy so much now, there was a one it's a film you have to watch yeah to understand cinema no i don't yes you do brian sit down okay you will respect you shut Stanley up and behave Cooper. yourself brian <laughs> i really dislike 2001 but at the same time i agree that it's an important film and i totally understand why it it made it, the cultural impact it uh, it did and why it influenced film for as long as it did i respect it i just don't like it it was funny on the comments when we reviewed this originally somebody went off on this rant insinuating that I can't believe, Chris, that you would like Interstellar better than 2001. And I was like, when the fuck did I say that? I don't like Interstellar better than 2001. And then it was almost like, pause. Oh. Well, right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you would say that. Well, I didn't. Well, Fox News. Yeah, I can not like 2001 and not like Interstellar and say 2001 is actually the film that is important. Interstellar is not. Yeah. 2001 is the film I dislike the least of those two, <laughs> is what you're trying <laughs> that to say. That is what you know, I'm trying to say. You know what would have actually completed this box set? 
uh, a disc where they just interview every single actor who worked with Kubrick and has nothing but horrible things to say about uh, it. Well, of which thing... there were, probably you, you could fill uh, a, a uh, Never Sleep Again length documentary. <laughs> he was one of those examples of a guy who had Asperger's who rather than being like, I, I'm really trying to get along with people. I'm trying to work past the difficulties that come with this, this illness, the social difficulties. He went the opposite direction and said, fuck you. I'm a genius. Everybody's going to do what I say. I don't understand what you're talking about, and I don't give a shit. Do what I say. I'm Stanley Kubrick. I, I don't care that I've just instructed you to smack <laughs> Smatman, Scatman Crothers in the, in the chest with an axe 50 times <laughs> to the point where Jack Nicholson threatens to kill him. I don't know. know. i got to give like the record for the most sociopathic behavior by a director ever to William Friedkin on the set of The Exorcist when uh, uh, Ellen Burstyn complained about the, the take they did where she's thrown across the room where it was on a rig. And she's like, that really fucking hurt. Okay. He's like, I'm sorry. We didn't get the take. We need to do it again. It's like, okay, but that's fine. But you make sure you don't have him pull anywhere near that hard. And he went to the guy pulling the rig and said, pulled a lot harder. Yeah. <laughs> it's Friedkin, like the award for number one sociopath in film. Friedkin, uh, I, I, you know, Kubrick, there's an argument that he has As had Asperger's. I think Friedkin's just a prick. I think there's yeah. a difference there. Yeah, <laughs> it, it could be that. So we can excuse Kubrick because he had a, a actual mental illness, right? Undiagnosed. So Charlie Manson, also victim of society. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Wow, I, there you go. <laughs> now you're just stirring up comment section shit. I am. I'm what we does. Well, you know, if we're talking about directors that uh, are difficult to work with, we might as well get into Richard's next uh, set here. Oh, I love that the cover for this box that makes him look like Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, it does. Da, 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 don't fuck you. <laughs> da, 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 Herzog. Presenting um, Herzog this, this the Collection. This is Herzog the Collection. Uh, this is another fantastic release from Shout Factory. I think this may actually be their best release of the year. Uh, they have managed to get pretty much his entire significant back catalogue, um, including you know the really early stuff, all these great documentaries. Um, obviously, his, his great works with Klaus Kinski. I mean, this is just to list... Uh, even Dwarves Started Small, Land of Silence and Darkness, Fata Morgana, Aguirre the Wrath of God, Enigma of Caspar Hauser, Heart of Glass, Stroizek, Wojzek, Nosferatu the Vampire, Fitzcarraldo, which incidentally is coming out in a solo edition later this month, Battle of the Little Soldier, When the Green Ants Dream, Cobra Verde, Lessons of Darkness, Little Deaton East of Light, and the wonderful My Best Fiend, in which he explains exactly how much he loved working with Klaus Kinski, even though he wanted to put a fucking bullet in his head. It's this the is end a of the world, and as yeah. we know it, and I feel fine. This is a great... Great, great collection. This is one of the... Uh, yeah, I'll put this up with any collection. I mean, Herzog's movies aren't always perfect. This is a guy that often struggled with a big idea uh, that was basically unfilmable. Uh, you know, loved going to locations where the only thing you could take was a completely fucked up 35mm camera. Could not, could never take anything to, and shoot in, in big perspectives because, you know, you just couldn't get a camera up there. I mean, sure. this guy's insane, and his, his career has been marked with the, the miracle of getting these films made and being so productive and being just, as you know, so, you know, many great films in, under the worst circumstances. And he does it with this kind of like, Meh. I got this film made kind of thing. He's incredibly laid back in all the interviews you see with him. A lot of great extras on this, but mainly, you know, this is the pretty much the definitive guide uh, to an, a phenomenal body of work and a beautiful edition. No, it is an opulent, profane emblem, the fatted calf of the masturbatory sin the fraud crowd. 
That's, what he would, that's how he would describe that's this box. Yes. Yeah. And he'd probably go, oh, that paid for Christmas. And it paid for my Christmas, so thank you, you frauds. Uh, you know, it, uh, I noticed that Dinotopia is not on this. <laughs> <laughs> Which, if you've never seen, folks, uh, he Ugh. did the voiceover for uh, the world's first nihilist documentary animated film. <laughs> he took, like, the remains of an unfinished documentary series and made it into a... Edit, re-edited it into a film with his own voiceover, and it is... It's got to be intentional, absurd nonsense. It's got to be, yeah. right? I mean, he's got to be laughing at, at us when we're making it, but I just... It's like... What the fuck is happening here? Well, you've heard the the bits from March of the Penguins re-narrated by Werner Herzog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen Curious George narrated by Werner Herzog? <laughs> but wasn't that actually an actor? Oh, it was an actor doing an impression, but still it was spot on. When okay, he's like, George discovers a hat and cultural artifact of unimaginable significance. Well, now on the other side of art, and a very different type, we've got Brian's next release. Woo! Which I'm sure I was surprised not to see on Richard's list. It was, it was really close. Uh, this, this was this was number six. This is UHF, uh, the Weird Al Yankovic movie from the early '90s, just released by Shout Factory on Blu-ray. And I watched this movie a lot on cable as a kid, and I, I was a big fan of Weird Al growing up. I, I remember uh, one of the first CDs, I guess not first, but one one of the early CDs that I bought was uh, Running with Scissors. Uh, which was the album that he put out, I think, in like 2000, 1999 area. Um, For me, it was Weird Al 3D. There you go. There you go. Uh, But yeah, this movie, uh, you know, in this movie, he takes over a, a UHF station. I'm, I'm waiting while you Google what a UHF yeah, station is. Come on, kids. Come on, catch up, catch up. And... The older folks can't remember. Remember this sound? Chunk. Junk. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and it's it's really just about the oddball programming. And, and you know, Weird Al has always been about completely off-the-wall humor. And this is a great showcase for him. He just gets to play with play in so many uh, in, in so many venues. The movie parodies that he does are absolutely hysterical. All of his – it's almost like the secret life of Walter Mitty. Like he just descends into this daydream world uh, throughout his life. And that's where we get things like, you know, the movie parodies and where we get things like the actual video for – um, uh, the the Beverly Hillbillies. What what is the actual name of the of the song? Where they 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 lampoon Dire Straits. I want my MTV. Uh, Actually, with, te- the technical term is uh, Dire Straits. Money for nothing. Money for nothing. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, okay. Uh, and so he's the Ballad of Jed Clampett. Ballad of Jed Clampett. Yeah. Go. So that that version, that video, uh, one of his best, in my opinion, is in here. Uh, great great guest stars all through this. A great performance by Michael Richards as. Stanley Spadowski, the... the... Stanley Spadowski's Funhouse! You get to drink from the fire hose! Yay! Fran Drescher's only non-annoying performance. True, true story. Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Oh, my God. Amazing, amazing villain. Love that guy. Uh, And this is, is, uh, again, it's, it's cleaned up very nicely. Packed with extra features. Uh, it, Victoria Jackson before we hated her. Before we yeah. hated her, yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there are trailers here. There are deleted scenes. There's a really interesting fake documentary on the Wheel of Fish, uh, which is <laughs> one of the game shows on his network. Uh, there's a great Weird Al Yankovic panel from Comic Con. You know, just this or just 2014's Comic Con, yeah, hosted by Jonah Jonah Ray from The Nerdist. I was really surprised they already had that on there. It was like, bam, there it is. And uh, yeah, it's it's just a great release for fans of Weird Al and especially fans of this movie. So props to uh, Shout Factory for doing it such justice. You know, I've interviewed him. I've Shout been, Factory? No, I've, I've interviewed Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> really? And he is delightful and incredibly humble it's and really. Yeah, you you so fast. Like he is one of the sharpest 
comedians out there still, but he doesn't kind of ram it down your throat. You just know that like he just he's kind of trying to hold the bubbling comedy down because he's that fucking good. Yeah. Well, it was amazing to me like during that panel when they did the uh, the the panel in, in July in San Diego, he had the number one album on the Billboard charts. <laughs> the, fir- the first time a comedy album has been number one since like 1963. Yep, since Alan Sherman did it for fuck's sake. Yeah, it's, crazy. It's just yeah, that's insane. Uh, he it's is, weird. Even the guy's been doing this for so long. I mean, he, talk about somebody who found their niche and said, "No, I'm comfortable." Yeah, no, this is what I do. <laughs> this is what this, I this do. This is my thing. I yeah. like this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna play the, I'm gonna be the guy who plays the accordion and gets paid for it. My only regret is that we haven't seen another Weird Al Yankovic movie since UHF. And why hasn't he done a secret Tejano group? You know, shouldn't there be a secret <laughs> Weird Al Tejano group out there somewhere? Sure. <laughs> Question mark. Well, because it's the only other thing that the accordion gets played. Oh, that's true. Okay. Yeah. Oompa music. Huh? Oompa music. Nobody's recording Oompa music anymore. <laughs> Are you kidding? I'm just no. <laughs> Go down to New Braunfels. That's all it is. It's not really Tejano music down yeah, there. Yeah, but they're not recording it. They're just playing it because look how German we are. Actually, yeah, like, it's the weird thing. If you if, if you just listen to the bass, uh, it's really hard to tell Umpa music from Tejano music. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's alarmingly and true. And a weird place for this podcast to have gone, but here we are. <laughs> there we are. Here we are. That's right, well, I am going to finish up this podcast with something that's not even on Blu-ray. It's on DVD. It's just that... This is where you get it all from. It's the Universal Classic Monsters Complete 30 Film Collection. This is every single one of the Universal Classic Monsters movies. And some of these are really shitty, but kind of in an awesome sort of way. These are going to be fun to watch, and why not have them all collected in one place anyway? Do they have the Invisible Agent? The Invisible Agent? Yes, the the Invisible Man sequel where he's an, an operative in World War II. They do. do. They do. They yes. do have the invisible the agent. Total list of films is uh, Dracula, the Spanish version of Dracula, Dracula's daughter, son of Dracula, Frankenstein, bride of Frankenstein, son of Frankenstein, ghost of Frankenstein, the mummy, the mummy's hand, the mummy's tomb, the mummy's ghost, the mummy's curse, the invisible man, the invisible man returns, the invisible woman, invisible agent, the invisible man's revenge, werewolf of London, the wolfman, she wolf of London, creatures in the black lagoon, not in 3D, sadly, revenge Aww. of the creature, also not in 3D, the creature walks among us, Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, House of Frankenstein, House of Dracula, Abba and Costello meet Frankenstein, Abba and Costello meet the Invisible Man, Abba and Costello meet the Mummy, and the Phantom of the Opera. Why do they list the Abba and Costello movies before Phantom of the Opera? I don't know. That's Man, they really don't like that guy. <laughs> Fuck that guy. So emo. Oh, so your face is a little burnt. Get over it. Boo-hoo. Uh, lots of extra features that were put out in the individually released uh, Legacy Collection versions of these, which were a lot. There's a ton of extra stuff. Uh, as well as a 48-page booklet, and it's all relatively compact uh you know i mean this is all you need if you're a universal fan other than maybe last year's blu-ray set which was also really nice of just the essentials you know dragonstein the wolf dracula the wolfman frankenstein dragonstein dragonstein Dragonstein. oh no don't give sci-fi channel any ideas (laughs) dragzilla no i think that's actually already a thing Um, (laughs) what i I don't want to see it I, i i think it's with rupaul though dragzilla Starring the Blue Oyster Cult. And maybe Rob Zombie. Maybe. Wadzilla. Anyway, that was our best of 2014. We could have added a lot more to this list, certainly. Oh, yeah. Uh, But we decided to restrain ourselves and do one podcast this year that clocked in around an hour, as opposed to last year, which was like something like nine hours of podcast. Yeah, yeah, we did like four podcasts that were each like two and a half hours, and I was just like, you know, what would be fun is not that again. (laughs) Not doing that again. That was a little excessive. We were pithy this year. We were. It was me. I was a good influence. Yes, you were. That's never been said before, but I'm going to do it now. (laughs) 
Well, thank you very much. You guys are joining us. Uh, and Buy stuff. Buy stuff with our Amazon links. Do it. Do it now. We'll yep. be back with the best of home releases a year from now. <laughs> Yay! Bye.